I can't believe we are already at week four today of our series, Go Big. We've got one more week left, and um, I'm so excited about our message today. I really believe that God is going to speak to each one of us. But the video that you saw on the screen, we've been watching that as our bumper video for the last couple of weeks as, as we've been talking about this. And that video was shot at the gym that I go to, um, Fitbox, in, in Tiger Valley in, in Fairmont High School. But I can remember the first time I went, I, I was so unfit. And the first time I went to do CrossFit, it was good for the warm-up part. And I thought that was the whole thing. But after the warm-up, I'm like, what are we going to do with the rest of our hour? And they said, no, it is just the warm-up. There's still exercises left. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it. And I remember walking out of there, and I felt like there's no way I could ever go on. I was so sore for a week, I didn't go back. Then Abigail was born. I went back again. And I, I thought like, well, I've been there one day. This should be better. And it was so bad again. Like I was, everything was sore. I couldn't function for a couple of days. You know, like when all your muscles are so sore, you get out of bed like, and you walk like a little dinosaur or something. You just can't straighten up. And um, it was so interesting to me. A couple of times, actually, after we went on vacation, I came back. It felt so bad again. I told Ilandi, I think I should stop. But I decided not to stop because I felt like I needed it for my health. So I kind of continued and I decided not to stop. And because I didn't stop, I got stronger and I got fitter. And today there's stuff that I would have never been able to even do. I used to take the weights that the, the little ladies took and I felt so embarrassed about it. Now at least I can pick up a heavier weight than, than, than most of the ladies. But it was so bad at the beginning. But the only reason why I could progress was because I didn't stop. And it is... A secret to so many things in life. So often in life when things get hard, when things get difficult, our reaction, our response to difficulty could be to stop and to not continue. But I think the secret to life is to push through hardships, to push through difficulties and say like, no matter what's going to happen, I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to continue. A couple of years ago, we had the privilege, we were um, for some church planter training in, in the U.S., and we had the privilege of going to Disney World in Florida and Disneyland in L.A. And it is so interesting, if you read the story of Wild Disney, it's so hugely successful if you think about just how big Disney is. And it's so easy to look at, be, at those big people and think that, wow, that, that's where I want to go. But what we don't often realize is that they faced many setbacks, and every time they had a choice to either stop or to push through it. You see, the, 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 at the end of the day, successful people, it's not that they had so many ideas that when one failed that he didn't face them and they could just go into the next one. Every time an idea fails, any time you struggle, any time there's a hardship, all of us struggle through it. But what made these people unique, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples now, is not just the ideas they had, not just the revolutionary thinking they had for back when they started the companies, but what made them unique was the ability to push through whatever obstacles were in the way and not stop. So while Disney, here's some interesting facts. His first business, animation business, went bankrupt. It's like, we can't continue. He moves to LA to become an actor. He fails as an actor. It doesn't work. So then he starts up another animation company, and Oswald the Rabbit, if you look at some of his older stuff, that becomes super famous. Makes a lot of money, goes to New York to talk to his producer to find out his producer stole all his animators and all the rights to Oswald the Rabbit. He's got nothing left. So again, he's stuck with nothing. Then he created Mickey Mouse. And they're like, whoa, that was his big break. No. After he created Mickey Mouse, more than 300 bankers turned his proposal down and said, like, this won't work. 300. More than 300. And 
And finally, Mickey Mouse came into the scene. And then, if you go and read the rest of his story, that still wasn't like, wow, now he was made. Throughout his life, he had these ups and downs and ups and downs. But what made him unique was not all his creativity, was the fact that he didn't stop. The guy that, that created Apple, um, we, we all, you've probably all heard about Steve Jobs. He, with a partner, created this amazing company, Apple, and this partner forced him out of his own company for a couple of years. He wasn't part of his own thing that he started. And so finally they brought him back in to kind of like rescue Apple. The same if you think about Elon Musk, the old South African. We're always proud of him because he was, he was here for a little part of his life. Right? We're like, yes, he's South African. Elon Musk has all these amazing things going on today. But throughout his life, if you go and read his, his stories, there was these ups and downs, things that didn't work. And the thing that separates these people from the rest of, of the guys that you don't hear about because they don't have companies that exist is not their brilliant ideas, but the fact that they did not stop. And that is our topic today. Our topic today is go big and don't stop. Go big and don't stop. And I want to ask you today, what about you today? Is there something in your life that is so difficult, that's so dark, that seems so impossible, that you feel like it's hopeless, that you feel like there's no going back, there's no turning around, there's no answer, there's no healing, there's no breakthrough. You feel like for, for the hundredth time your, your company went bankrupt or your idea wasn't accepted, or, or you've prayed and, and you still didn't find healing, or you hope that your marriage should work and you've tried and you've, you've seen counselors and you've tried again and still it didn't work, and you're like, I'm just at a place where I have to stop. There's no more future for me left in this specific area of my life. I want to tell you today, whatever problem you might be facing, the answer is not necessarily how creative you are, how smart you are, how strong you are, but the ability to be so persistent in not stopping. Say, if I want to go big in my faith, if I want to see God do big things, we said you need to have a high expectation of what God can do in the first week. In the second week, we said you need to trust God with what you have, that he can multiply that. In the third week, we said you have to put the little steps in place where you prepare yourself for what God wants to do. But I want to tell you today, if you want to go big in your faith, if you want to see God bring a breakthrough to your life, a miracle into your life, often the most important thing we should do is to not stop. And we're going to read from two kings today, and I want to give you a bit of background first because it's quite a long, a long piece, so I can't read anything, everything, but the, the whole story is 2 Kings 4, verse 8 to 37. So we're not going to read all of that. You can go and read it at home. So in 2 Kings 4, verse 8 to 37, we read about a, a, a woman, a Shunammite woman from, from Shumen, and she, was, she, was, she had a lot of money. She was hospitable. Elisha, the prophet, would travel through this town, and she would receive him and give him food. And she was so hospitable that one day she told her husband, I think we should actually build a little room for him. And they built a room for him, and there was a table and a chair and a lamp and a bed. They actually described that in the Bible, that all of those things were put in place. So he had a place to rest with his servant. And they would rest there, and, and everything was good. But then Elijah's like, listen, this woman has been so good to me. Like, what can I give back to her? So he, he sends his servant, and he says, like, you go and find out like, what she needs. And he comes back and he's like, she, and he actually said, can I talk to the king for you? So he's like pulling out the, the big guns. It's like, I know the king. I can talk to the king. You know, what do you need? It's like nothing. I've got a home here. I'm good. But there was one issue in her life that she couldn't fix. One thing that she felt like she's already stopped. She's already given up on this. And that was the ability to have a child. She already quits on that. 
couldn't have children. And without her asking for this, Elisha calls her again. And she stands before him and he's like, this time next year you will have a child. And she's like, don't give me false hope. Like this year, time next year you will have a child. Next year, that time, because her husband was really old, the Bible says. But that, and, and without a husband, if the husband passed away, she would have lost everything. Because as a woman, she didn't have right to all those things that they owned. So she needed to have a son in order for all his dad's belongings to be passed down to the son so that she still had a house to stay in. So without a son, she would have had nothing if her husband passed away. So not only couldn't they have children, but without a child, their future was super bleak and dark. And a year later, guess what? She's got a son. And then we read in one sentence the life of this boy. One sentence. The Bible says the boy grew, and then one day he got a headache. He went to sit on his dad's lap, and he said, Dad, my head, my head. So we don't know how old he was. Clearly he was able to speak some words. The dad took him to the mom, and the boy died. Boom. End of the story. The Shunammite woman goes, we don't even read her name. She goes, she picks his boy up. She puts him on Elisha's bed. She asked her husband, give me a servant and a donkey. I'm going to go to Elisha. It's like, why? It's not Sunday. It's not Sabbath or, or full moon. Like, Elisha's not going to preach. Why do you want to go to him? She's like, don't worry. I just need to get to him. And she tells her servant, you don't stop. We just continue going. And then this happens. So she's, Elisha is on this mountain. He sees her coming in a distance. She's always been good to him. So he knows something must be wrong. He sends his servant and he tells him, go and find out what is going on with this woman is everything okay? And then we're going to start reading from 2 Kings. Gavin, you have to do this for some reason. This doesn't want to work. 2 Kings 4, verse 26 to 37. Elisha tells him, he says, run to meet this woman and ask her, are you all right? What's the answer? No. Is your husband all right? He's like, yeah, he doesn't know about anything. Is your child all right? What's the answer? No, he's not all right. But hear what she says. Read that with me. Everything is all right, she said. Like, what? So she continues. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet, and Gehazi, the man, Gehazi came over, so that's a servant, to push her away. But the man of God, Elisha, said, Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden from me and has not told me why. So Elisha, the man that seemingly always had all the answers, he's like, I don't know what's going on with her. This, this woman, something is clearly wrong, but I don't know. And she just said, everything is okay. So then in verse 28, she says this, Did I ask you for a son? Did I not tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said, Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Don't stop. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother, so we, we can learn from this that he kind of sent Gehazi with the mom back to the house. But then she says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So she got up and she followed him. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. And guess what happened? The boy was, no, nothing happened to the boy. There was no sound or response. The Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and told him, the boy has not awakened. The boy is dead. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, he shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then he got on the bed, laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body began to grow warm. So what now? Is the boy alive? No. Elisha turned away and walked away and f- back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched him 
out on the boy once more, and then only the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite, and he did. And when she came in, he said, Take your son. She came in, she fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and then she took her son and went out. That's what we're going to read. The whole story of this woman later. Because what's so interesting to me is, <clears throat> this is the weirdest story. It's like a woman can't have a child. God gives her a t- child, then the child dies. Like, why? why? Why then did she have to have a child? Like, why not just skip that whole process? In fact, she actually tells Elijah, like, I, later on, she's like, I didn't ask you for a, for a child. Like, you just said you're going to give him to me. And then I said, don't raise my hopes. So why on earth would God give me a child, and then the child grows up, and then the child dies? And then we read about Elijah, the guy who always had all the answers. He did these amazing miracles. And suddenly, Elijah, this woman that's been so good to him, that, that opened her house to him, that actually built a room for him onto her house, he's like, I don't know what's going on with her. God this doesn't show me what. I see something is wrong, but God doesn't tell me what's going on. And then finally finds out, and he's like, hey, Zai, you go with my staff, a sign of authority, and you go and heal the boy. And, and if you're like, but that was Gehazi, not Elijah. What's wrong here? Last week we read from chapter 5 about Naaman. That same servant went to Naaman and told himself, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman did that, and Naaman was healed. But Elisha, if he told Gehazi to go, he was supposed to have touched the boy with the staff, and the boy was supposed to wake up, but nothing happens. So Elisha, being an old man, he's slow. He finally gets to the house. He goes and does this whole maneuver and prays to God, and nothing happens and then only finally, like the boys are waiting. But why all of that? Why did this happen? Why did God not just intervene? Why does God not at this moment intervene to whatever crisis you're facing? Why doesn't God just make your life smooth? Why isn't everything in your life easy? The answer is, I don't know. Elijah didn't know why God intervened. He didn't know. But there's two things we need to understand today before we can continue about going big and don't stop. There's two things you need to know. And if you want to ask me anything about God, I'm going to say, like, you need to know these two things before we continue to speak about anything about God. And the first thing you need to know is God doesn't always do the things the way we would do it. God doesn't always do things the way we would do it. How, how would you have done it? I would have just not let the boy die. As simple as that. And if the boy did die, I would have just sent Gehazi to touch the boy's face with the staff and he would have been healed. God is like, that's not the way I do it. The God, if we try to think about God, a God that is so much bigger than us, the first thing we need to realize is God doesn't always do things the way we do it. And the second thing is God doesn't always reveal his plan to us ahead of time. Why is that important? Because God is going to do things in your life that won't make sense to you. But it's okay if the boy dies and God reveals his plan that the boy will be resurrected, right? That's fine, as long as I know the boy won't stay dead. It is fine to know I'm going to send Gehazi and he's going to touch the boy and nothing is going to happen, as long as I know that when I go and I touch him, he will awaken. So we feel like it's fine if God does some weird thing in my life, as long as I know the full picture. But God doesn't always reveal his plan in advance. So many things in my life has happened where I trusted God with something, it didn't work out, and every single time I had no idea why. Afterwards, when you look back, you're like, ah, that's why. I still don't know exactly why. Why did the woman have to go through it? To to grow a faith? 
I don't know, I think so. We can guess, but we're not 100% sure. But God doesn't do things the way we do, and He doesn't always reveal His plan to us ahead of time. I want to read something to you quickly. Isaiah um, 55, verse 8 to 9. This is what God says through His prophets, okay? He says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the first thing I want you to know is that our ways are not God's ways. Before we talk about not stopping, if you're sitting in a difficult situation today and you've got no idea why or why God allowed this, I want you to, to just keep this in the back of your mind. The way you would do something is not the way God does it. In fact, when God says, my thoughts and your thoughts are different, my ways and your ways, what he's basically saying is that you are limited in knowledge unless God reveals something. Elijah, that had all the answers at that moment, he was limited in knowledge. He didn't have the answer because God didn't reveal it. So God is like, unless I will give you a revelation of what's going on in your life, there's a good chance you won't know because your brain is too small to, to understand it. Like, really, I thought I had a big IQ. God's like, no, it's actually quite small. When God says his ways are bigger than our ways, what he's saying is we are limited in power unless he acts through us. So Elisha, this man that did all these miracles, that just told someone, go and wash yourself in the river, threw someone else and, and he was healed from a very bad disease. He went, he did all these maneuvers, nothing happened because Elisha didn't have the power. God had the power. And I want to tell you, there will come things in your life over and over and over again where you will not have the power, where you will not have the ability, where you will not have the knowledge to solve it. God doesn't do things the way we do, and He doesn't always reveal why He does that. But we have in those moments, in the moments where you're like, God, I've got no idea what you're doing. I can't do anything about this. I feel hopeless. I feel like I want to quit. I feel like I want to stop. In those moments... We've got a choice to either fight God or to flight to God. To either fight God or to run into His arms. To either fight God because He took your son or because God didn't heal when you thought He would heal. We can fight God in that. We can fight God because your, your relationship is not getting better. You can fight God because you're not being healed. You can fight God because you've been praying every time you're writing exam and still your points are like you're just scraping by. You can fight God about anything that's going on in your life. Or you can choose in those moments when you don't understand, the moments when you can't do anything about it, to submit to His will and to run into His arms. That's what's so beautiful about me, to me, about both these people. This Shinamite woman, when her son died, she was supposed to have torn her clothes and put ash on her head. That's what the Jewish people um, did. She was supposed to go to her husband and mourn and cry in his arms. She was supposed to to put the boy maybe on his own bed to prepare him for burial. But she, instead of giving up, she runs to God. She doesn't even tell her husband. She puts her son not on his own bed. She puts him on Elisha's bed because Elisha is the man of God. So if she wants to hear from God, she had to work through Elisha. We don't have to work through a prophet, by the way, because we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got a direct connection with Jesus, with God, because of the cross of Jesus. They didn't. But she goes to God through Elijah instead of fighting God, instead of stopping, instead of quitting, she's like, I'm going to run to God. Elisha, when he tries to do this miracle, and by the way, it's only the second miracle we read about in, in the book of two kings. The second miracle he does. So it, it actually kind of the third, because the first one, the water opened. But he could have said, like, I've done like 
few things and like now nothing is happening. So I'm going to quit. I don't know why God is doing this. I thought he's going to, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a prophet to the nation. He could have quit, but instead he runs to God. And the first thing he does when he gets to the boy is what? He closes the door and he starts praying. Going to God doesn't mean that everything changes immediately. doesn't mean like if you're facing a crisis today and you're in church and I'm sharing this message and you decide today that instead of quitting, that you're not going to stop, that you're going to run to God. It doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of this building and everything in your life is going to be perfect. That's, that's not the truth. We want that to be the truth. We want God to be like a quick release buckle. I don't know who of you, if anyone here does kite surfing. A friend of mine does kite surfing years ago when I was still in high school. Kite surfing just started and I was like into the, the power kite scene. And back then when the kite surf, surfing kites started, they had ropes that were attached to a harness around your body. And if you attach that harness, you're attached to it. And back then, if I remember correctly, it was the German women's champion died because two kites collided, the lines got crossed, and it pulled her straight through her fence, and she died. Today, there's a quick-release little rope that you just pull. So if two lines get entangled, if you get in a difficult spot, you pull a little line, boop, and there goes the kite, and you're safe. And we want God to be like that. We want to be like, God, as long as I'm good, I'm fine. And you can kind of hover along. But the moment that that crisis comes, I want to pull this line. And I want you to just take the problem away. I just want you to fix this relationship. I want this illness to go away. I want everything to be fine. Just like, God, be quick release. But God isn't a quick release. Everything doesn't change immediately. And I want to tell you today, no matter what you're facing in your life or what you have faced or what you're going to face, don't limit God because you're too impatient. Don't limit what God wants to do in your life. Don't limit how God wants to stretch your faith. Don't limit the miracle God wants to do in your life because you are too impatient to see God working it out. Don't limit God. Don't miss what He wants to do because you have too little courage to continue going in hard times. You don't have enough courage, so you just quit. Don't miss what God wants to do because you don't have enough faith. And remember, when we talked about faith, we said in a, a couple of weeks back, Jesus said we can move a mountain with a mustard seed. A mustard seed that's so small, you can squash it between your fingers and you don't even see it because your skin is too fat for that little mustard seed. I know it's not a real word, but I just created that whole sentence. Don't limit God because you don't have enough faith. You have too little courage because you don't have persistence. And the moment a difficulty comes in your life, you're like, I'm out. I'm quitting. I tried this Christian thing. I'm gone. If this woman didn't have courage, if she didn't have persistence, her son would have been dead. If Elisha didn't have faith, if he was too impatient with God, he wouldn't have been the prophet we're reading about today because he would have walked out on God when God didn't come through for him the first time. Everyone, everyone in this story that this woman talks to and that Elijah talks to is told to not slow down or to stop. This woman that just lost a boy, she's like, I don't even have time to tell my husband he died because I'm not stopping. I'm going to trust God for a miracle. So she says, send me a donkey and send me a servant. And she gets on the donkey and she specifically, you can go and read it. I think it's in verse 23 or something. And she tells, tells the slave, you do not stop for me unless I tell you. She's like, I know you're going to think I'm an old lady, so I want to go a little slower. But you don't slow down. You don't stop. You keep going because we're going big, so we don't stop. 
Elisha sends Gehazi and he's like, you run. And if someone looks at you, you look away. If someone stops you, you just keep running. Like no matter what happens, you don't stop. You don't quit. You have courage. You have persistence. You keep going. Because if we want to see God move in our lives in a big way, He's not going to do it in your timing. He's not going to do it exactly the way you think. Your job is to keep going with faith and persistence and to not quit. So Elisha, after they decided they're not going to quit, this woman doesn't want to go away. She's like, dude, I'm not going to leave you till my boy is alive. So I'm going to literally walk with you while Gehazi is running ahead. Finally, Elisha comes there. And he goes and he prays to God and he lies down on this boy and he gets up. And is this boy resurrected? Did the miracle happen? No. But something did happen. We read that the boy's body got warmer. Did the boy spring into life? Did new life just come into him? No, he didn't. But something was changing. There was a change in the atmosphere. Something changed that he couldn't pinpoint. But something happened. And I want to tell you today that whatever you might be facing in your life that you need, that you have to trust God for. If you keep trusting Him, if you keep going, you might not see a change immediately. But God is working behind the scenes. You might not see a change immediately, but God is working behind the scenes. Elisha didn't see a change when Gehazi came back. Elisha didn't really, I I don't know if he noticed that the boy's body was warming up. You don't see the changes, but something is changing in the background. God is working behind the scenes. Life was returning to this boy's body, although he didn't spring back into life. And you might feel like your relationship is going nowhere. You might feel like everything is is still out of place and like you still want to quit and you still want to give up. But when you continue to grow, God is working behind the scenes in your life to stretch your faith, to grow your faith, to prepare you for the miracle. You see, God was setting the perfect stage for one of the greatest miracles ever. We can count the number of times that people were resurrected from the dead in the Bible, like on one hand, maybe two hands. And God was setting the stage. He was building the suspense like a perfect movie. And here's the thing about God. When you watch any movie and you hit pause, that's where you are right at this moment. You think this is the end of the line. That moment when the hero fights with with the bad guy in a Marvel movie and and he's like down and he's out and blood is like coming out of his mouth and you think like, oh, this is is the end of poor Batman. You know, like he's out. If you pause there, it might seem like the end. If you pause in your life right now, if you decide to stop and instead of continue going, you might feel this is the end. But if you hit play and the movie continues, suddenly Batman comes back or Wonder Woman steps onto the scene or whatever and everything changes. When you decide to not hit pause, you see this image. God sees the whole picture. You don't see that, but it doesn't matter because God does. And when you choose to hit play, when you choose to not stop, God will do something amazing. He's working behind the scenes. He's setting the perfect stage for the miracle He wants to do. At this moment in your life, God might be setting the stage for something big, something amazing, to grow your faith to a level that you thought was not possible. Don't give up. Elisha lied down, face down on this boy, and he's 
he was praying, he lied down on this boy and he gets up and the boy is still dead. And then we read in verse 34 that he starts walking in the room. He starts pacing up and down. They say he starts going back and forth. And I'm like, what was he doing when he was walking back and forth? I wonder what, what Elisha was doing. Did you know that the first miracle that we read about from Elijah, his teacher, there was a widow who didn't have food, so he multiplies her oil and her flour. And he doesn't stop. She begs bread, she goes crazy. What was the first miracle that Elisha did? A widow whose children was about to be taken away, he multiplies the oil. The second miracle that Elijah does that we read about is that same widow that he helped with the bread, her son dies. So he goes and he prays to God. He lies on the boy three times. He cries out to God and, and then the boy came to life. The second miracle that Elisha does that we read about here is he's facing the same situation. And I want to read you from 1 Kings, the story of Elijah. So not, I know it's close, Elijah, Elisha. So Elijah, the teacher. Okay, he's not with us anymore, but we're going to go back. We're going to do a quick flashback. This is what happened with Elijah. He lied down on the boy, he cried out to God. And then we read this in, verse, in 1 Kings 17 verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. And he left. The boy's life returned to him and he left. Let's read that first part together, the bold part. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And I, I'm thinking this, like we don't know what Elijah was doing when he was pacing up and down. But he just cried out to God. He just prayed. He lied down on the boy. Still there's no life. Still there's no breakthrough. Still there's no healing. Still the relationship is not fine. So he starts pacing up and down. Have you ever been so stressed? Have you ever been in that place where like you can't stand still? You have to walk around. You can't pray on your knees because it's like too intense. You just have to keep going. And Elijah's walking up and down in the room. And I think he was praying. And I think he was reminding God of the promises he had to hold on to. You see, he was, he was remembering something that he could hold on to. He was remembering a promise that he would have a double portion of the Spirit living in Elijah. So he's looking at this boy. He's like, if Elijah could raise a boy by praying and lying on him three times, and I asked God, and, and God said yes for a double portion of his spirit, then God will do a miracle today. So he's pacing and he's reminding himself, God gave me a double portion of his spirit. He's pacing up and down and he's remembering that it's a promise of resurrection. He remembers that that boy came back to life. So he's like, Elijah, you don't give up because there's a promise that that boy will live again. He won't stay dead. Elijah is pacing up and down and he remembers the promise that God hears his cries. So he's pacing up and down. I think he was reminding himself of the promises he had in God, the hope he had in God. You have to make a choice to hold onto the promises of God, even when you don't see the change immediately, even when God doesn't reveal his plan, even when he does it differently to you. We need to hold on to the promises that we have in God. Elisha Never gave up on the hope he had in God. And I want to tell you today, if you want to go big in your faith, if you're trusting God for a breakthrough in the area of your life, if you're trusting Him for a miracle, if you're just trusting Him to stretch your faith, hold on to the hope you have in God, even if a change doesn't come immediately. 
pace up and down. Remind yourself, do you know what we're doing at the kids' church? They are learning a memory verse every five weeks. They are, we are programming God's Word into them. So that when they face a situation like this where there's no breakthrough, they can walk up and down in the room and they can hold on to the promise and they can remember there is hope in Jesus. There is life after this. This is not the end. I can't keep going. We have to hold on. Never give up on the hope you have in God. Verse 26, if we look uh, to, to the back part of the story, when the widow arrived at, at close to, to Elijah and, and his servant went out to hear if, what's going on with her, she said, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything was not fine. Her child died. It's like, everything is fine. Why? Why didn't she go to her husband? Why didn't she cry? Why didn't she just say like, our son is dead? Finally, she gets to Elisha. She shares what's going on. He's like, okay, go back to your boy. She's like, I'm not going back because I'm holding onto a promise. She goes back with Elisha and she doesn't back off from that hope that she's holding onto until verse 37 where her hope her hope doesn't slack. She doesn't give up. She holds on to that promise until that final moment when we read in verse 37, she got down on her knees in thanksgiving. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you need God for to come through for you. Maybe you need Him for, for a miracle in a relationship or in your finances or, or with addiction you're facing or a sin you can't break with. Well, you need Him to grow your faith because up to now, maybe it was just a tradition and just a religion and not a relationship. Maybe you just need Him to blow some fire into you because up to this point, it seemed like Christianity is a dead religion. I don't know what you're trusting God for, but nothing is impossible for our God. Not a woman that couldn't have children to fall pregnant. That wasn't impossible. Not the resurrection of a dead boy. That wasn't impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Don't give up. Don't stop. You want to go big, don't stop. God doesn't give up on us. God hears our cries. And He might not change your life at this moment the way you want to change, but He hears your cries and He will come through for you. He is a good, good Father. Not even a huge gap that existed between us and God could keep Him from us. You see, God is such a holy and a perfect God that whenever people sinned, they, they couldn't, they would, we would literally die if we're in the presence of God because of the sin in our life. That's how holy God is. Can you understand? No, I can't because His thoughts and His ways are so much bigger than mine. But that's the holiness of God. And we couldn't even get close to God. And, and the Israelites had all these offerings that they had to bring. They had to like sacrifice one thing in the place of another. But that didn't stop God. He's not only a boy that was resurrected, but God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross. And He died, but He isn't dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Jesus is alive. His grave is empty. We don't even know where His grave is today. They think... They take you to a grave in Israel, but they don't know where his grave is because it's empty. Because he's alive. We have a hope. 
that we should not give up on. Because it's not only a hope for a life here. It's not only hope for a life with meaning and a life with purpose and a life with a plan. It's not only hope for whatever crisis you're facing in your life, but it is a hope that surpasses this life. A hope for eternity. Don't give up on the hope you have in God. Don't quit because you lost hope. Don't quit because you can't persist with your faith. Sometimes you'll feel weak. Sometimes you, feel, you might feel like you just want to get off the donkey and, and cry because what happened? But don't slow down going because God is a faithful God. Whatever you're trusting for, He will give you the right thing at the right time. Let's pray. Just thank you. But we have a hope that's real, a hope that's living, a hope that's alive in you. Because you are not dead, you are alive. But it wasn't a temporary resurrection like that of a boy. It's an eternal resurrection. You will never die again. And because of your life, we have life. Because of your life, we've got a new relationship with God that makes our hope tangible. And I pray today, Father, I pray that you would fill us with a hope that's so much bigger than our setbacks, that's so much bigger than our problems, that's so much bigger than our difficulties, that's so much bigger than the hard times. A hope that just surpasses all of that. And we will keep our faith and our hope alive in you. I pray that we would pace the rooms up and down with your truth written in our hearts. Soul, get our breakthrough. Pray in Jesus' name.